Try that again. Good morning, everybody. That sounds good. Go to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to be starting in Matthew 2, verse 1. A little bit of a context here. Christ was already born. And after that night, beyond that night, maybe it was weeks, maybe it was months beyond the night he was born. Some even speculate even up to two years like Herod did. Beyond that night when he was born, the Magi came. And when they found Jesus, they felt an emotion to the fourth power. If you want to measure it like a thermometer, uh, this emotion escalated four degrees up. Some would say it was a mixture of natural and supernatural emotion that got charged up in them. I'm not going to tell you the emotion yet. That'll be the heart of the message. But they felt this strong emotion, and that's going to end up becoming the main point of this message. It's also going to be, hint, hint, the theme for the children's ministry in January. So let's go to Matthew chapter 2 and read about this. Matthew 2, 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem. He was born in Bethlehem, and after that, Magi came not to Bethlehem, but to Jerusalem. And they asked. And who were they asking? Well, they weren't asking Herod, as some people think. They came into Jerusalem, and they started to ask around in the market. And I can bet you, these guys from the Far East, from the Babylonian side, were noticed by everyone. And they started to ask, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east. What star? There is a prophecy in Numbers 11. We'll talk about that in a bit. But they must have had that prophecy in their possession to know about his star, Jesus' star. We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now you can imagine, these guys, I don't know how many there were, I totally don't believe it's three. That is a cartoon, it's nice, but these guys did not come all the way from the east Quite dangerous to do that all by yourselves as three guys. But they came with a whole entourage of people, servants, cooks, lots of camels, and probably an army. They had diplomatic immunity to come into the Roman Empire from the Babylonian side. They weren't at war, but they must have come with lots of protection. And that's why I said they were 
noticed by everyone. What are these strangers doing here from the east? Now imagine them coming in to Israelite zone where these Israelites are long awaiting a prophesied Messiah. They have no clue he has been born. And these guys are saying, he's been born. We saw his star. And we've come to worship him. Well, Herod eventually hears this. It says here in verse 3, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all of Jerusalem with him. Not just Herod, everybody is disturbed by these pagans who have come into their midst declaring their Messiah has been born. What did Herod do? Herod called two meetings. Again, he didn't call the Magi in first. Meeting number one, he called in the theologians of the people first to find out what's the birthplace where the Messiah is going to be born. Tell me. And then he called these other guys in, the Magi, after meeting number one, in meeting number two, and he said, when exactly did you first see that star. Where was he born? And when? I got to calculate this. When might he have been born? How old is he? This is how the scripture puts it. When Herod called together, first meeting, all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where? The Christ the anointed one, the Messiah, the prophesied king, where was he to be born? And they, probably all with one voice, they knew this scripture really well. They said, in Bethlehem in Judea. So they're in Jerusalem now and they're answering him. It's in Bethlehem. For this is what the prophet has written. Micah 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. Out of you, Bethlehem, will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Well, Herod finished that meeting, and then he called in the second meeting. He brought the Magi in. And this was a secret meeting. It says he called them in and found out from them the answer to when. I know where, but now I need to know when. He says, it says here, he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And we know why. He was threatened by this newborn king. He wanted to be the only king standing. And he wanted to calculate the exact possible age or even lesser and murder all the children, not just in Bethlehem, but it says in the surrounding region, he killed all the two and under boys in that whole area. 
So he finishes this meeting. And then in verse 8, it says, he sent them. So these guys are coming into Jerusalem saying, where? Where's the one who's born, king of Israel? We've come to worship him. And he finds out, and maybe they knew or maybe they didn't know, but it says Herod sent them to Bethlehem. So they've, they've gone from Israel, Jerusalem, now they're headed towards the exact birthplace, Bethlehem. He sent them and he said, these are his instructions to them, go and make a careful search for the child. Do what you came for. Do the work for me. <laughs> go locate him. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Liar. That's not what he was up to. Well, after hearing from King Herod, they went on their way. And that same star they saw in the east that got them to come all the way to Israel, that star reappeared. It wasn't constantly there. They saw it, it prompted them to come, and now it reappeared. It, this is what it says. The star they had seen in the east went ahead of them. Went ahead of them, like a leader. It's, so it's not just a star. At this point, it is a moving star, which is not a natural star, but something supernatural about that star, because stars don't move. They don't lead you. But this one was leading them. It was a moving star. You think, well, that's odd. Scientists would say no. Well, scientists would say no to a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night that led the Israelites, and that's no fable. And when that cloud and fire stopped, they would put down their tent pegs and make camp saying, oh, the guiding fire and pillar of cloud has stopped. And then when it would begin to move again, they'd pull the tent pegs and go forward because it was leading them and guiding them. And now something similar, but it's a star. God gives a star to these magi to lead them to the exact location, which was like a needle in a haystack. How on earth are these guys going to find them? They're in the marketplace saying, where is he, the one born? They're going to Bethlehem, but still there's so many houses there. How on earth are they going to find the house? And then the star appears and guides them. I call it a GPS, God's positioning star. It says here, the star they'd seen went ahead of them, and it says, until, oh, until what? Until it stopped. So it's moving and leading and moving and leading to the exact location, and then it stops until it stopped over the place. Like, talk about a neon sign where God is saying, right here, right here, it, this is where he is. It stopped over the place where the child was. This is exciting. If you read this too fast, you might miss all the supernatural that took place to get these guys to actually find Jesus. And here's the main verse that I'm going to be preaching on. Verse 10, it says, When they saw, 
that star that was leading them and brought them all the way to Jesus. When they saw, it says, they rejoiced with, not with, they rejoiced exceedingly. This is the physical kind of joy. With great, it says in English, in Greek, it says with mega joy. To the first, second, third, fourth power, joy. You think, why on earth did the author, Matthew, put so many uh, descriptive words on this joy? Because the emotion was not just the calm emotion of joy. Ah, wow, we found it. But it was out of this world, out of their skin. If they can go, go beyond their skin, they were ecstatic in their joy. We found them! Eureka! Eureka! We found! We found! You can imagine, after so many months, still not sure where he's going to be, to have found him. They didn't see him yet, but they were excited. Verse 11, it says, On coming to the house, not stable, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Proskinao is the worship word here. Pros means toward. Kinao, kinesis, kinetics, is to move. They moved toward under. This is when you see and recognize authority and kingship. They moved toward under, and they revered him. And then they presented or offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Verse 12 says, And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, and we know why, they returned to their country by another route. Now, regarding the Magi, we're going to focus on three things in this message. Because we need a little bit of a background on them before we understand why on earth they were even there. So we're going to look at, number one, who were they? Number two, why were they there? And number three, what did they feel when they found Jesus? Let's start with question one. Who were they? I'll tell you who they were not. They were not kings. We three kings of Orient are, Magi are not kings. Number two, they were not on holidays in Israel, just taking a little break, traveled so many months just to relax in Israel. That's not what was happening. Number three, as I said a little earlier, they were not just three people that showed up in Jerusalem. And number four, we're doing all the knots, they were not at the stable on the night that Jesus was born. It's kind of nice to watch those. I'm not going to ruin the cartoons and stuff like that that do that. It's efficient to do that in the little time frame of making a cartoon. That's great. But at least 
Today, you're going to hear the truth. They were not at the stable where the shepherds showed up, directed by the angels to go there. That was the shepherd's experience and the shepherd's joy. But these guys experienced Jesus finding him at a house. And it was after the night of his birth. So who were they then? The the Magi were an ancient. They go far back in terms of empires. We're in the Roman Empire at this point, but they go far back. They were an ancient religious tribe of priests. This tribe was an elite priest-generating tribe, like the Levitical tribe. It's not the same. That was God's tribe among the the 12 tribes of Israel, but they had their own tribe, and it was known for producing magi. Their lineage goes all the way back, at least biblically speaking, to the Babylonian Empire. So we're in the Roman Empire. You can go all the way back to the Babylonian Empire where you see Magi there under Nebuchadnezzar serving him at his royal table. And you see them also through the Medo-Persian Empire. And you also see them all the way up to this point, the Roman Empire. And some say you see them all the way up to today. The Zoroastrian religion is an offspring of the Magi religion. You talk to Zoroastrians, and one of their biggest things they'll ever proclaim to you is the Magi and the birth of Christ, and that our guys found him before the Jews even did. Well, they were priests, but they were pagan priests. They were into astronomy mixed with astrology. That's the kind of stuff that God actually banned and said, taboo, don't go there. Well, these guys were right into that. And they also had a library of knowledge, world prophecies. They treasured these things. They preserved these things. These are probably the kinds of prophecies that help them direct, help direct them to go to Israel. In the era, era of the Babylonian Empire, under Nebuchadnezzar, whom they served, that's about 600, less than 600, but about 600 years before Christ's birth, these guys were identified as magicians. Nebuchadnezzar called them the magicians. Uh, they interpreted dreams, stuff like that. They served at his, you know, in the royal sphere of Nebuchadnezzar. And it was King Nebuchadnezzar who made Daniel, the Jew, chief over all the magi. He was full of knowledge and wisdom. He could not only just interpret dreams, he could tell you what the dream was without you telling him and then interpret it. So Nebuchadnezzar esteemed him, and so did they. They were in wonder about Daniel. So you can bet Daniel was a major influencer and source of biblical prophecy given to these magi under his chiefly leadership. They were probably very interested in the kind of prophecies that 
uh, Daniel was aware of. Back to the Roman Empire. Six centuries forward from the Babylonian Empire. From Daniel now to this place where Herod and the Magi have interacted. Why were the Magi in Israel? Why did they make such a long trip from the east all the way to Israel? I'll begin by saying that the Magi, said before, they weren't kings, but they were known as, quote, king makers. In their sphere, in their culture from where they came from, no one could be made king unless the Magi confirmed and appointed them and anointed them. It's kind of like Samuel with David when he anointed David even before he was king. He, from God, knew that David was God's king. Well, these guys, actually, in their own sphere of uh, authority, no one could become king. No one can take that authority unless the Magi said, this is the king. Well, they weren't only kingmakers, they were worshipers. We talked about Proskinao. The Magi said, where is the one who has been born king of Israel? We came looking for a king here in Israel and probably knew he was a great king, not just a little king that they would make such a huge trek for. For we have come, we've seen his star back in the east, and we have come to worship, to bow down before him and under his authority. Later in verse 8, it says they did that when they found him. They bowed down and worshipped him. But what exactly drove, like, there had to be enough motivation to do such, a, such an expensive trip. What drove them to do the journey to Israel? Let's go back to the 70-year captivity in Babylon. Back then, just want to visit a prophecy. They probably had lots of prophecies. There's only one prophecy in the Old Testament about a star. You won't find any others. So during Nebuchadnezzar's time, there's Daniel, he's chief of the Magi, and under his influence, I believe, they probably heard about the Numbers chapter 11 prophecy. You might ask, what prophecy is that? And did it get handed from generation to generation? Yes, it probably did. I believe that from back then all the way to these Magi. They probably had this Numbers 11 in their possession, to know that Jesus has a star. They're not talking about, oh, he has a little birth star, just like everybody else. They knew about a special star. And it wasn't something they came up with. It, it's in the Bible. So what are we talking about here? What star are we looking at here? Actually, I'm going to back up and make this more interesting for the kids. I was driving home, and I was thinking, what would make this interesting for the kids, Lord? So before I get into that prophecy, I was just kind of driving up to my garage, and this game I used to play as a kid, and some of you might have played it as well, it's a, it's a, it's a seeking and finding type of game. 
not hide and seek, but it's called hotter or colder. And when you were far away from what you were looking for, the person directing you would say, you're getting colder, you're going the wrong way, you're getting colder. And then as you would approach, at least go in the right direction, you'd hear them say, you're getting warmer, you're getting warmer, the temperature, the degrees are going up, you're getting hot. Oh, you're getting even hotter, especially, let's say it was hidden in the basement and you were going downstairs to the basement and you were in the right room and it was in the furnace room or something like that. You're getting super hot. This is how we're going to do the rest of this message. As they get closer, I'm going to tell you that they're getting hotter and hotter and hotter. So, when the Magi first saw the Messianic king's prophetic star, back home in the east, it, it, it's almost like cryogenics. They, this was all frozen stuff. It never got activated, but suddenly it got activated. They noticed the star. And they said, this is the time. He's born. There is his star. We saw his star. Where is the one who has been born, king of Israel? Back east, they suddenly went from super cold to starting to warm up to the idea of traveling all the way to Israel. And as they traveled, they got warmer and warmer. They went from cold to warm. Like I said before, they don't know exactly where they're going to find him, but they're going to go find him. That's their intent. When they arrived in Jerusalem, in the crowd there or in the market, they went from warm to getting hot. They were pretty close. They started asking, where's the newborn king? And their excitement probably started getting hot because there were things being said. Herod told them to go to Bethlehem and do the search. So we're, we're on track. These guys know, we know, and, and we're going to find him. So they're heading now from from Jerusalem, hot to getting hotter. They're heading towards Bethlehem. Micah 5.2, out of you, Bethlehem, we heard before, will come a ruler. And then the final part of that is, whose goings forth have been from everlasting. This ruler will emerge in you, Bethlehem, but his goings forth actually pre-existed his birth there. He's from everlasting, and he's been born in Bethlehem. So this is not just a little regular king they came to worship. Isaiah 9, 7, if we can add another prophecy. I don't know if they had it, but we have it. His government will rise from Israel. The increase of his rulership will have no end. And so this is a big When Herod sent them to Bethlehem to seek and find the king, the Magi's, as they traveled, the Magi's excitement got hot as well. It went from cold, warm, hot, hotter, hotter. It got really hot when they started approaching the house. Genesis 28 
Just looking back on another prophecy, it, it, it's a prophetic dream. I won't go in it because it's an entire message there. But he saw a ladder from heaven to earth, a whole lot of emphasizing of descending and ascending and descending. Angels were highlighting that part of the dream, but then the word of the Lord was a promise, a threefold promise, that Jacob, who got renamed Israel, he, he was told he would birth a nation, he would father a nation, 12 tribes that eventually became a nation, and the very place that he was dreaming would become a promised land that his nation would take possession of at the right time when they would grow to be a nation, they would take possession of it. And out of that land and out of that nation will be born a seed of Jacob, a descendant of Jacob, a one who descends the ladder from above, from heaven to earth, and descends through the bloodline of Jacob and is born an Israelite in the land of Israel. Big promise, big vision of who was coming down the ladder. This is the king of kings, not just a little king who would be born. I don't know if they knew these things, but I'm throwing it in for our excitement at this point and saying this is who they were heading toward worshiping. I don't know why they were so excited about this king, but I know why I'm excited about him. I know why you're excited about him. You and I found him too. We found the king over all creation, the universe. He rules it all. He's come into our world. And you and I, 2,000 years later, whatever God did in each of our lives to draw us to him so that we would find him and put our trust in him, we have found him as well. When the Magi left Herod, left Jerusalem and went, it was only six miles away to Bethlehem. But as they were heading there, we heard a little earlier, they were looking for him, and suddenly something supernatural, a GPS from God, appeared. God's positioning star appeared before them. Do you think that hot became super hot, supernaturally hot at that point? I would say if there's any kind of joy that's the highest, they probably hit the top bell, ding, at this point. God directed them. He drew them all the way from the east. When they first saw the star, now he's drawing them with a moving star all the way to finding Jesus. They're getting hotter and hotter and hotter. Numbers. 24.17, here's that ancient prophecy. By the way, the one who prophesied this was hired by a guy named King Balak. He was not a Jewish prophet, he was a sorcerer. Just to, to show you what God could do through anyone and with anyone, a sorcerer prophesied this and God drew pagans from the east all the way to finding Jesus. God can do whatever he wants to draw the nations in. Numbers 24, 17, 1,200 years before Christ, Balaam is like, I can't curse these people, King Balak. I want the money, but I can't do it. Every time I go to do it, the Spirit of God comes upon me and disables my mouth from cursing and he, he makes my mouth bless them. I can't do it. And then in one of the blessings, he starts to prophesy. He says, 
And it's a, it's a seeing kind of, kind of a word. He was a seer. He says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. So he's associating a star to Israel. And then he says, a scepter, which indicates rulership, will rise out of Israel. I believe the Magi were aware of this prophecy. That's why I'm bringing it up. How can they say we saw his star, this ruler born in Israel that we've come to worship? We saw his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. The star was a sign that helped them in this hot, getting hotter game, and the scepter was a symbol of a king. They knew a king was born, a ruler who was meant to rise out of Israel. Later in verse 9, when the star reappeared, God made it do two things. We said earlier, he made it move, and then he made it stop. The movement was to lead them. The stopping was to show them the house. (laughs) I just think that's great. They should make a cartoon about this. Verse 9, the star they originally saw reappeared, and it says it went ahead of them. Proago is the Greek word, which means to go before and lead forward into a destination. Proago, proorizo is destination. Proago is to direct you towards where you're meant to go. The star did this, and it did it until it completed its mission. That's when it went and stopped. Mission complete. He's right here. This is the house. This is the neighborhood among all these houses. This is the house. I don't know how God's Shekinah glory alighted upon that house, but they knew the exact house because the star actually was directing them with light on that house. The best we can do is uh, maybe a helicopter and a spotlight type of experience where it's right here. It stopped. Right there, and it stood still over the place where the child was. This star, God's positioning star, took them from cold all the way to as hot as it could get. They they didn't even see him yet, and they began to feel this emotion I was talking about before this this joy to the fourth degree. NIV says they were overjoyed, but other translations, most of them say they, that when they saw the star moving and directing them, they, they rejoiced. Rejoiced, when you look the Greek word up, rejoiced is hero. It just means they calmly, in a, such agreeable way, oh, They calmly opened their arms. They saluted the house. They, oh, this is so good. We found it after all this journey. Oh, so good. But Matthew does not stop with just a calm 
rejoicing. He says, they rejoiced exceedingly. Spodra. Go to a movie with Tenny Hildebrand, and when she's enjoying something in the movie, she starts slapping your back, and she has to get physical. Spodra is a physical kind of joy, so you're not just welcoming and embracing. You're going, yes, and oh, yes, oh, yes, we found them. Maybe they're doing somersaults. I don't know what those guys were doing, high fives, doing dances, whatever. It got physical. The joy got physical because this is exciting. We're totally on track. We found them. Eureka. But, but Matthew doesn't even stop there. He adds another level, another layer, another degree of heat to this joy. He says, they rejoiced exceedingly. So rejoiced exceedingly with, and it's not great in Greek, it's mega, with mega joy. You look up the word mega, it has to do with dimension. When you look at mega, mega Alexandros, Alexander the Great, that has to do with authority that's greater. It's an emperor's uh, type of authority. When we talk about dimensions, there's no higher, there's no wider, there's no deeper, there's no longer kind of joy. This is mega joy. They escalated in degrees all the way up to mega joy. Joy to the fourth power. And you're probably wondering, what did it actually look like? I don't know. But I made a little video to maybe laugh a bit and see what it might have looked like. Karen. When the Magi found Jesus, they felt joy to the fourth degree. The Bible says they rejoiced exceedingly with mega joy. What might this joy to the fourth degree look like? They rejoiced. is not just natural joy. The star was just not a natural star moving them forward to finding Jesus. This was not all natural. It was natural and it was supernatural and the joy they felt, I believe, God took it to that level for them to experience such great joy. Kids, if you're at home with your parents, parents stand up and kids stand up. Just kind of humor me for a moment. We're going to do a memory verse before we close this sermon. The memory verse is Matthew chapter 2, verse 10. We're thinking now, if you're standing, 
Get ready. I'm going to do it myself, and then we're going to get you to do it with me. Are you ready? Even people in the room. Let's be kids together. Point with me. When the Magi saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly. Ready to jump? With mega joy. All right, let's do it together now. We're much, much quicker this time. When the Magi saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. One more time. When the Magi saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with mega joy. All right, thanks for humoring me. That's your memory verse, kids. You can talk about it and practice it with your parents a little later. It's good exercise to do what I just did. Your parents will actually benefit from it, so have a little bit of a practice again later. But here, we're closing with this. I have a question that I'm going to leave for you to take away from this message. There was a, a person in my past as a believer who told me or asked me, this is not the question, this is the start of the question, but she asked, George, if anyone is to feel joy, should it not be that person who found Jesus? That impacted me back then. It still continues to impact me. All of us have a reason. I know there's stuff going on in this world that might distract, but all of us, regardless of the stuff, all of us continually have a reason to rejoice exceedingly, abundantly, with mega joy. And when, when the scriptures remind us of why, or the Holy Spirit brings to mind or helps us recall why, we have so much reason to have joy in our life. And may the Holy Spirit bring that joy. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father draws them. To me, you came to Jesus at some point because the Father was working to draw you to His Son. Those who ultimately find Him, they're on their way to finding Him, or us, we found Him. We found Him. Eureka, we found Him. It's because the Father drew us to Him. It's because you were chosen through the foreknowledge of the Father. It's because you have been born from above. You've been supernaturally born by God's Spirit. He drew you all the way to being regenerated from one who was spiritually dead to being made alive by the Spirit of God in Christ Jesus. It's because we have become co-inheritors with Jesus Christ. You right now... Jesus has come into this world, became human, and has inherited all of that new creation stuff unto himself. But anyone who is in Christ, anyone who has become like a bride to a groom, a co-inheritor with Christ, you've not only come into the most amazing relationship in existence, you've come into all that it implies with Jesus. Everything he has inherited is yours in Christ. You and I are the most fortunate people on the planet. I'm just reminding us of some things. We have every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms. 
We have so much to look forward to. It says those who are in Christ, our lives might be hidden to some in Christ Jesus right now. They might not understand this, but when Jesus Christ appears in glory, we will appear with him in glory. The promise is where I am, you will also be. Whatever is coming, you're going to be with me. Those who find Jesus, Romans 8, have this hope. It's not yet seen. That's what makes it hope. But you have an assurance by faith, by Jesus Christ, by the promises that we carry. Mega promises. Mega joy, mega promises. We hold promises that He's returning. And by faith, we're walking straight into this living hope in Jesus Christ. Resurrection bodies. A new creation. New heaven, new earth, no more separation. Those realms will be merged together. There'll be a new home where we will abide with God and God will abide with us. We'll be his people. He will be our God. We will see him. And it says he will make everything new. He will wipe away every tear. The old order of things will pass away. All will be made new. Already we're beholding that, but man, we haven't seen anything yet. And it says at that time there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying. No more pain. This is your hope of glory. It's yours. It's a done deal. It's a guarantee because the word of the Lord has given you assurance about it. You can head toward it right now with joy. And so I leave you this question. What was the last time you felt joy over finding Jesus?